0: snuff production Hello, welcome to the briefing. Katrina Blau is here with you and on today's show.
1: There is reason they wanted me. Why me,
2: Charlotte? But there are worse fates than marrying the king of
0: England but are there? <laughs> We're talking about the new Netflix show, Queen Charlotte. It is currently the number one show on the streaming service. It is a spin-off of the very popular Bridgerton series, and it gives the backstory of the British Queen Charlotte. Now this show has been sparking a wee bit of conversation on social media because in this series, Queen Charlotte is black.
2: Features that are allegedly proof of Charlotte's African heritage. For example, very full lips, for example. And quite protuberant eyes. that That's a feature of George as much as Charlotte and no one is claiming that George has black ancestry.
0: So if Queen Charlotte was the first black queen it means her descendants including Queen Victoria and Queen Elizabeth II have African ancestry. So Jan Fran's going to be diving into that briefing topic today but first let's get into today's headlines with Antoinette Latouf. It is Monday the 15th of May. You may have
3: remembered some pretty disturbing scenes in Melbourne where there were neo-Nazi salutes and you perhaps were thinking, oh my gosh, it's 2023. Is this crap still happening? Well, it is, because now two men have been charged over their involvement in a clash between neo-Nazis and anti-racism protesters, again in Melbourne, this time on Saturday. So, dressed in black and covering their faces, around 30 neo-Nazis gathered in protest, well, they were protesting against immigration and there were a group of anti-fascist protesters, they were a much larger group. Um, they clashed and police had to use capital. Spray and make several arrests to calm the violence.
0: Yeah, this worried me. Um, the last protest, which was, you know, not even two months ago, that was an anti-transgender mm. protest, which neo-Nazis kind of crashed outside Parliament House in Melbourne. So this one, they say, is in opposition to new migrants, which they say will further exacerbate the housing crisis and ethnic replacement of white Australians in their own suburbs and towns. It is really disturbing rhetoric.
3: To be honest, it is disturbing, but what's most disturbing is that it echoes Peter Dutton's reply speech to the budget, because these are the sentiments, and this was the kind of xenophobia that Peter Dutton was espousing uh, after it was announced of a return of international students and a large intake of migrants. He came back going, well, this is bad for housing. This
0: is bad for Australians.
3: Next minute, you've got neo-Nazis saying the same thing.
0: Well, as some Australian families struggle to make ends meet, data from the ABS shows just how expensive the cost of education has now become as well. According to the stats, high school fees have almost tripled since 2003, with prices going up quicker than most of our household bills. While the cost of preschool, primary and university has more than doubled in that time, a lot of people are wondering, where's all this money going? Uh, apparently, teachers' salaries make up three quarters mm. of the cost of of education, we can't really say that we don't want teachers to get paid more. I still don't think they're paid enough. But yeah, my brother works with the Smith family and he has to allocate um, charity funds to families who can't afford to send their, their kids to school. And he says the kids that can't afford, you know, new uniforms and the equipment that all the other kids have, they get bullied, which is so heartbreaking.
3: It's so interesting, Katrina, that you, you talked about op shops because I, because I came across an old photo of me at school. It was a school class photo and I'm maybe in year four or five and I'm wearing a uniform from the op shop, which isn't actually the school uniform. It's just one that kind of looks like it mm. that my, my, um, it's all we could afford. Um, but what's been happening, uh, in, in recent years is just, Creating a larger divide between the haves and the haves nots, and I think just school needs to be an equalizer. It needs to be a place where students mix, irrespective of socio economic background. And in addition to these costs going up um, of education, there's been a shift from public education to uh, private and independent and Catholic schools. And I just think that's that's a real worry because
0: it's entrenching that divide, and that that's not going to yield good things for Australia moving moving forward. The National Road Safety Strategy is in question. It is meant to stop road deaths by 2030, but road deaths keep rising. They've risen by about 10% since 2021. WA is the state that's had the biggest jump in the 12 months to March this year, with an additional 26 deaths. Uh, Victoria has 23. More than 1,200 lives have been lost nationally in the year to mm. April. But I guess amongst all this, um, these horrible stats, there, there's a tiny bit of, um, light. Uh, New South Wales and the Northern Territory have not seen an increase in the past year. Gosh, what a, what a conundrum. What, what do you do? not seeing an increase for new south wales and northern territory i mean
3: that is good news but it's still not halving it as the strategy sets out to achieve so this strategy was announced in 2020 and the australian automobile association they've come out with a with a pretty scathing assessment well they're going as far as questioning the government's commitment to reducing road trauma at all arguing that this needs to be completely scrapped and something else put in its place to save lives the results of the Turkish presidential election are rolling in right at the moment, um, and it could signal the end of Recep Tayyip Erdogan's 20-year tenure in power. So Erdogan has been responsible for making Turkey more authoritarian and has moved the country closer in diplomatic ties to Russia. If his rival Kemal Kilcdi wins, it could mean Republican People's Party takes power. Kilcirolu says he vows to restore democracy and bring, what he says, Turkey into the light.
0: So a lot of people who've been analysing voting patterns in Turkey say that a lot has shifted since the devastating earthquake occurred and, and it was really that botched rescue attempt that was staged by the government that made a lot of younger voters turn off Erdogan. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be so fascinating to see this this shift in results and, and the impact that the earthquake in particular had. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that's really... Um challenging
3: the nation is inflation. Last year, it hit 85%. It's currently around 44%. um, So people are really struggling on a day-to-day basis. And depending on how this goes, and if it does swing to the more progressive party, that will have pretty big um, geopolitical implications because a change in leader would shift that balance between Europe, the US, the Middle East,
0: and um, of course, Russia. And the future of Australia competing in Eurovision is up in the air with no SBS broadcast deal locked in for the coming years. So Aussie band Voyager got through to the grand final. They even got into the top 10, but they couldn't get the win. They uh, made it to number nine. Pretty great effort, though. Sweden's Lorreen took out this year's song contest again, while Aussie singer Andrew Lambrow, who represented Cyprus, came in at 12. Uh, the show was hosted by the UK this year on behalf of war-torn Ukraine. There was even a bit of a feature from Princess Kate playing on the piano. Uh, Ukraine won last year, of course. Uh, I don't know that many people who watch... Eurovision, but it still did pretty well in the ratings, Antoinette. Um, SBS got some pretty good figures for it. So I think there still must have been a lot of Eurovision parties going on. Yeah, absolutely. I was a little, like you, a little bit surprised to learn that it it rated quite
3: well um, among the top 10 shows over the weekend look. I don't know music that well. Probably don't know parties that well either. But I do know that <laughs> Australia, I know basic geography, Australia is not in Europe. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're not successful when we enter Eurovision. We've made it into the top 10 on four of our seven previous appearances and only once since we joined Eurovision um, as a competitor in 2015 have we failed to make the finals. So... I reckon if you're happy to keep ignoring geography, uh, there's going to be a bunch of people who will be pretty disappointed if we don't find a broadcast partner for next year.
2: Hello, my lady. Are you in need of assistance of some kind?
1: If you must know, I'm trying to climb over the garden wall.
2: Whatever for?
1: You refuse to help a lady in distress.
2: I refuse when she's trying to go over a wall so that she does not have to marry me. Hello, Charlotte.
1: Your Majesty.
3: To you, I'm George.
1: Mmm, Queen Charlotte is one of the most popular shows on Netflix right now. It is a fictionalised retelling of the story of the real Queen Charlotte, who was the wife of the British monarch King George III. This was between 1761 and 1818. Queen Charlotte was many things. Ruler of Britain, mother of 15 children, kangaroo aficionado, but was she black? because that's how she's depicted in the Netflix series. And what is interesting is that some historians reckon that there might be a possibility that perhaps maybe she just could have been possibly. But as you're about to hear, that does not solid evidence make. Charlotte has a fascinating story, but African heritage is not likely to be a part of it. So let's dig into that with Cindy McCreary. She is a historian who specialises in, among other things, you guessed, 18th century British history. Cindy, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. Let's start with what we know about the real Queen Charlotte. Queen Charlotte was German. She was a German Protestant princess, and that's
2: hugely important for understanding why she becomes the wife of the British king, George III. It wasn't to do with her personality, her looks, even her youth. It was a dynastic decision that was very much in keeping with the Hanoverian uh, monarchs who were on the British throne at the time. They wanted Protestant princesses to become queens, and they particularly liked German princesses because the Hanoverians themselves were originally a German dynasty. So it ticked all the boxes for George III. It is true that she was young, and it is true that they fell in love, but that was a long-term process, not something that happened immediately.
1: And what do we know about her as a person? So Charlotte is a very complex figure.
2: And I guess I want to say that like every human being, there are many facets to her. On the one hand, she was an incredibly devoted wife and mother. And I think it's fair to say that among the queen consorts of Great Britain, she was one of the most devoted to supporting the monarch and supporting the nation. The other thing about Charlotte that's important to understand is that she was deeply religious. That was very important to her. Um, and she was a very private person, she had a lot of interest, she was interested in science, she was interested in music, she was interested in art, and she was a great patron, which means that she, through her role as Queen, was able to sponsor really important scientific, artistic and musical endeavours in her period, and we, we owe a lot to that. The other point to make about her, however, was that certainly in later life, she becomes a figure of mockery uh, and indeed criticism for her apparent greed. And indeed, there's a lot of um, satirists and uh, critics who claim that she is really egging her husband on to gain diamonds from India. This is a time when Britain is ruling India, not as a colony, but as um, through a commercial trading company, the East India Company. Um, And in the late 1780s and 90s, Charlotte is often the butt of a lot of satires um, that say she's just out for diamonds, and all she cares about is money. She's also pilloried, on the other hand, for being overly frugal. Uh, she's seen as someone who, like her husband, prefers very plain uh, living. She and her husband, who is known as Farmer George, live simply. Uh, and increasingly, she her life of of simplicity is contrasted with the luxury, um, the extravagance of her eldest son, the Prince of Wales, who become George the Fourth. So she's a, a very complex figure who's seen in different facets
1: by people in 18th century Britain. So in the series Queen Charlotte this is you know it's a hugely popular series on Netflix obviously it's a spin-off of Bridgerton and you know the makers are very clear to say this is a fictionalized retelling of the life of Queen Charlotte in the series she's portrayed as being black and that sparked a lot of interest and a lot of commentary you know principally on on social media around the i guess the ethnic origins of the real Queen Charlotte What can you tell us about that? Because there's some historians who believe that she might have Black ancestry. There is some suggestion
2: by some historians that Queen Charlotte may have had African ancestry. But the evidence for that actually goes back to uh, an individual who was around in, I think, the 11th century. Um, And keep in mind that Charlotte is born in 1744 in the 18th century. So that's a very distant African ancestor. Mm. But the other point to make is that the way that people are described in this period in the 18th century, their concepts of race are very different than what they are today. So people don't see race in the 18th century as based on a distinct scientific difference of of people's background DNA. They understand it um, more in cultural terms. And I think that's really important that Charlotte is not understood by people in her own day as what we would understand to be black. Yes, there are some comments made on her complexion, Mm. which is somewhat sallow. If you look at a lot of engravings of George, uh, who's also got German ancestry, he also appears with some of the features that are allegedly proof of Charlotte's African heritage. For example, um, very full lips, for example, and quite protuberant eyes. That's a feature of George as much as Charlotte, and no one is claiming that George
1: has black ancestry just back on that point, just because you're described in a certain way. And there have been descriptions of Queen Charlotte that might lead people to believe or might sound like they are descriptions of people of African ancestry in terms of what the size of her lips looked like or what the colour of her skin might have looked like. Can you just talk us through some of the descriptions that have been attributed to Queen Charlotte over the years?
0: My
2: feeling as a historian is that there's really not much evidence here, either of her African heritage other than possibly in the very far distant past. But more importantly, people at the time didn't see her as African. Yes, they may have said that her skin was somewhat sallow um, and that she was not particularly beautiful, but that didn't mean that they thought she was African. Um, So I think that's a huge liberty that the show is taking. And I must say, as a historian, I think it's super
1: dangerous. Yeah, I think we should all just bear that in mind. This is a fictionalised retelling and they're, they're, they're very, very clear about that. Um, you know what? I don't
2: think they are clear. Okay, May I just uh, say? Yeah. They say that this is a fiction based on fact. I think this is a fiction based on fantasy. And I think it's a dangerous fiction. And I think that we need to be super careful about thinking about when you make choices like this, what are the consequences? And what, by this retelling of history, what does that do to the actual history? And what are the consequences of that? I think this is super dangerous. Expand on that for me for a second. When you say yeah. super dangerous, why? Because this is a fantasy that in the 18th century in Britain, Black people were accepted, that they managed to um, have access to status, to wealth, and that there was no such thing as slavery. There was no such thing as Britain's incredible investment in the slave trade and in businesses that benefited from the slave trade. And that somehow this young king and queen are the reason that Britain eventually in the 19th century does push for the abolition of the slave trade. What that means is that people are treated to this idea that really the stories that matter are the stories of the rich and powerfulness and the, the, the entitled. And we lose a sense that ordinary people's lives matter, not just ordinary black people's lives, but ordinary white people. This is a show that really fantasizes and fetishizes the lives of the titled, of people who are in the 1%. We don't need more fantasies about the 1%. We need more histories and more shows that talk about the experiences of ordinary people. So as a historian, I feel like this is just reinforcing a sense that only rich title people matter.
1: And as a historian, that is such a wasted opportunity you're coming at it from a historian, but I guess the makers of the show would be coming at it from the point of view of a creative and and saying that, you know, this is sort of subverting the genre of what people are generally used to seeing when there's shows about the 16th, 17th, 18th century. Um, It's sort of a subversion of that. And they're taking creative license with that. And I mean, I I think that to some extent they have been quite clear about the creative license that they've taken and the reasons why they're doing that. So I guess they have a right to be creative, don't they?
2: I think it's dangerous though when you're conflating history and fiction. If it was the Bridget and novels where they're not talking about actual historical figures and events, I think that's fine. But when you're talking about British history and that what I think is a much more interesting and complex story, I just think there are opportunities and I also I must disagree. This is about a fantasy version of the past that is absolutely based in a capitalist view of wealth and status is important. And I do think that that's, yes, it's creative. Do they have the right to do it? Of course. But this is about chasing profits. This is not about telling the truth. This is not about doing anything that I think is responsible. And this is driven by profit, pure and simple. Wow. You're really not a fan of this show. I think it's dangerous because I don't think enough people understand the liberties that are being taken. And I do think there's a real conflation. Um, And you say that they make clear that it's fiction. But if people don't know what the, the fact is, it's very hard for people to really assess what is real and what is not real here.
1: Right. Because I guess there is the show. And you can give as many disclaimers about the show as is possible, but then people are going to talk about the show on social media. They're going to talk about the show in their friendship groups. They're going to talk about the show with people that they know or, you know, th- their own audiences. Um, and that's where things, I guess, might get slightly confusing.
2: Well, I just saw some comments. This was the comments, I should say, on the trailers before the show aired. Comments on the trailer. And one of the comments I found deeply poignant, This is going to be wonderful because it shows that we were all kings and queens, not peasants and slaves. Well, that's a fantasy, but that's not history. But what's wrong with showing the lives of peasants and slaves? I understand it's not as beautiful. I understand it's not as fun. But we need to get over any sense of shame that, um, you know, maybe not all of us were descended from kings and queens. There's nothing wrong with being an ordinary person. And I just want those stories to be told. Mm. Why did she like kangaroos so much? Well, she was very interested in science. Um, and as you may know, Sir Joseph Banks, who accompanies Cook on his first voyage, um, to the Pacific and Australia in 1770 understands Banks is a player and he completely understands the need to get the king and queen on side. So he makes sure that, that, um, some of the most exotic animals, Australian animals are given as gifts to the queen. Charlotte becomes really fascinated with the kangaroo, and like many scientists in England at the time, they're fascinated by this mammal, which is also um, has its baby in a pouch, and she's very curious about that. Mm. And we know that she raised a whole, you know, flock or herd of kangaroos um, herself, and was was really
1: delighted by them. Okay, your advice to somebody uh, watching the show and being really interested in the history and wanting to talk about it with people that they know or maybe even their audiences on social media? What would it be?
2: Watch the show, fine, but also read the history, right? We're getting a lot of good history now on consorts, on the queens in this period. So there's a new volume um, published by Palgrave Macmillan. Um, there's also earlier work published by um, Carissa Campbell Orr, who's one of the great scholars of Queen Charlotte. Um, Queen Charlotte is a very important historical figure, and there's lots of great and interesting stories to learn. So look at the, watch the show if you, if you will, but, but also read the history. Um, and I would also, my also top tip would be have a look online at the British Museum, look at the caricatures of Queen Charlotte because they're fascinating and they're really
1: lively renditions of a queen that I think many people won't be familiar with. That was Associate Professor Cindy McCreary there talking about the real Queen Charlotte. I guess the takeaway is well, you're probably going to watch the TV show and not read the history because uh, who can blame you? Who has time? But with all of these things, it's probably pertinent just to, you know, Take it with a pinch of salt. And if you're not sure about something, don't say it on social media.
0: Listener.